you have to be very strategic because if you're in it for the long term, how you apply for things, when you apply for things, it matters. And like I mentioned before, you know, it really depends on each person's personal application history and what they have now. So it's hard to give like a one size fits all thing. Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from Arthur Chow from the Arthur Chow. Arthur is an award travel coach and credit consultant who discovered the world of points and miles in 2010. He quickly amassed 1.5 million points and miles in just six months. With his expertise, he regularly books first-class flights and round-the-world trips using creative methods and one credit card signup. His passion has allowed him to take loved ones on dream trips and luxurious days at five-star hotels, with Paris and Tokyo as his top destinations. He combines his knowledge of credit repair and credit card rewards to help clients optimize their credit card strategies and accumulate one million miles or more. In this episode, Arthur shares valuable insights and strategies for optimizing credit card sequencing to maximize rewards and bonuses in the world of points and miles. Arthur discusses various credit card issuers, their rules, and the importance of sequencing your credit card applications strategically so you don't get rejected by the banks. He emphasizes the significance of building and maintaining good relationships with the banks, understanding underwriting criteria, and being organized in your approach. If you're looking for a great no annual fee card to get started, but you don't know where to begin, consider the Chase Freedom Flex card, which lets you earn 5X on rotating categories every quarter. Remember, if you decide to apply for the Chase Freedom Flex or any other card, please never apply directly through Google. Always use a friend or creator's referral link. And if you're interested in supporting this show when you apply for your next card, check out geobreezetravel.com cards. And if you're not sure what card is right for you, I offer free credit card consultations at geobreezetravel.com consultations. And we have links to the Chase Freedom Flex and the free consultation form for you in the show notes as well. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. Hey, Arthur. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to have you here today and also to discuss what gets people rejected when they apply for different credit cards because a lot of people who are like, well, I have a credit score over 720. I have a credit score in the 800s. I have never like been bankrupt or done anything bad uh, to banks. Why would they reject me for a new credit card that I'm so excited to get? So we are going to talk about all of those different bank rules today because life goes so much further than just the 5 over 24 rule. But before we jump into all of that, tell us a little bit about you and how did you even get into the game of points and miles? Yeah, so I think it was around 2010 when I really officially jumped into this game. You know, I was always on like those blogs, fat wallets, slick deals back in the day in the early 2000s. And then it just kind of happened naturally when I shifted, I was doing more traveling. I was like, hey, how can I save more money on my travel? Uh, I do travel overseas to Asia, Taiwan quite a bit. So then I was like, okay, what can I do? And the credit card game just kind of naturally fit in with the deal seeking and saving money just because, you know, if you have good credit, you know, definitely leverage some of the perks and benefits. And then we're able to get deeply discounted or even free flights and such. 
So that's kind of how I got into the game. And then just, and then just over the years through podcasts like yours and other blogs and stuff and networking with people, just kind of started learning more and more about refining the game and then getting better and maximizing, optimizing. Awesome. So for somebody who's just getting started with points and miles, maybe they have like a decent credit score right around that 720 mark. So they would qualify for most different cards. Where would you recommend they start? So you have a decent credit score and you have decent credit history. I would say, you know, go after some of the major banks. For a lot of people, like people I talk to and people I deal with, sometimes they're very, very new and fresh, right? They just got maybe their first card or maybe they're looking to get their first card. Then the process would be a little different because you'd want to establish like your credit report, core, you know, maybe four or five credit cards before you start going deeper in the game. But let's say you already have a really established credit profile. You've had quite a few years of credit history. Then you really got to look at how to maximize things. And when you talk about how to maximize things, you really want to look at each bank and break down each of the banks and kind of how their application, how their underwriting process is, and then you know go for the max approvals you can, max sign-up bonuses, and max number of points. So I'll give you kind of a few examples. So we all know about Chase and its 524 rule. It's an unofficial rule, but basically that states that if you had five personal credit cards approved and showing on your credit report in the last two years, then you'll be automatically denied for another Chase card, right? So we say personal cards, even though, you know, most business cards won't show on your credit report besides Discover, Capital One, and TD Bank business cards, which will show on your credit report. But knowing that, that there's a 524 rule, then you'd kind of maneuver around it where, hey, Chase values, they want us to prioritize them in the beginning of the credit card sequence and go after them first. So maybe I will put off some of these other banks and go for Chase first. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that, hey, City is also very restrictive. So a lot of times I tell people, go for the City cards first because Citibank is very inquiry and account sensitive. Even if you just applied for, let's say, a Citibank card on the same day as Chase, but you apply for the Chase card five minutes earlier than the Citibank card, then you'll probably get rejected for Citi just because you had that recent inquiry on there. So in that situation, I say, hey, if you're looking to get both Citi and Chase card, go for the Citibank card first, then go for the Chase card, assuming that you're still under 524. But that's just an example of kind of how you could maximize things and apply for things in a certain order. Does City have some kind of unofficial 5 over 24 rule? And if so, what are the limits for the card velocity there? Uh, Citibank has something called, I believe it's called 865, which means you can only get one Citibank credit card within eight days and two within 65 days. So if you try to apply for two credit cards, let's say within the same week, then you're going to be automatically denied for your Citibank card. But like I mentioned before, like if you have very recent inquiries and very recent account openings, that actually might affect the application and the approval process as well. Because let's say you just got approved for a card the month prior, or you just had you know, an inquiry, like I mentioned earlier, just the same day or even a week prior, then that may come into play and they may reject you just based off of that. So, you know, even though like it's pretty widely known in the 
you know, points and miles game, the chase should come first. You know, a lot of times I would put city in front of chase if you're going to apply for it. Because with chase, as long as you're under 524, you know, even if you have a recent open account, recent inquiry, that's okay with chase. You know, you'll still get approved because 524 is what they're looking for there. With the city one over eight rule and two over 65 rule, is that similar to the five over 24 where it's like one card of any bank and like two out of any bank in the 65 days? Or do they mean like two city cards, like a city premier and a city custom cash? Yeah. So the A65 refers to only city cards. So you can only apply for one city card every eight days. So after day eight, let's say on day 10, you want to apply for a second city card, you could do that. And then two every 65 days, two city cards. So if you're trying to apply for three cards within like a two month span, you wouldn't get approved for the third card. But you know, that's just the city bank or, or city card rules. They don't really mention and it's not widely discussed about other banks and other applications that may also affect city. But just knowing that they are very inquiry and account sensitive, usually we look at three, six, and 12 as in recency. So three months and six months. If you're going to apply for city, it's definitely good if you don't have any recent inquiries and uh, recently open accounts within three months. It really improves your chances of getting approved for a city card. Can you get a city card sign-up bonus if you've had the card before? Does it work like Chase where you can turn it every so often or does it work more like Amex where there's once-in-a-lifetime rolls? Yeah, yeah, you can. It depends on the card. I believe the American Airlines cards, like the City Platinum Select in the business version is every 48 months, which is four years. And then some of the other cards, maybe 24 months. I believe the Premier is also four years, 48 months as well. I mean, we could talk a little bit about the double dip of the City Premier. With the Premier, if you've never had it, then it is possible. You know, it's kind of, we'll keep this on the download a little bit, but it is possible to get it twice, but you have to do it very strategically and you have to take into consideration all the things I mentioned earlier, including recent inquiries and accounts and also the own city 865 rule. So, you know, let's say this is your first time applying for the city premier card. What I do is obviously I'd apply for the card. All right. If I get instant approval, then I'd wait eight days. So maybe on the ninth day, or after I'd apply for the second city premier card. But I'd make sure it's probably pretty hard to do because if you apply for the first one, you probably haven't received the first card yet by the time you apply for the second one. But the caveat is you don't hit the spend on the signup bonus until afterwards. All right. So you apply for the first one, don't hit the signup bonus, apply for the second one, and you still qualify for it because you haven't technically had the signup bonus in 48 months, right? Then you hit the signup bonus together once you receive both cards. So that that's kind of how you double dip the city premier bonus. And it's limited to a double dip. Like people should not be getting 15 of these in rapid succession. Oh yeah. I mean, you couldn't just because you can only have two within two and 65, right? And then by the time after two months, you wouldn't be able to apply for the third time due to various reasons, but you, you could get two. You know, many people I know, people I advise, they have gotten the city premiere twice. And it takes up two slots. If you want to use up two of your five over 24 slots on just city premieres, you could do it if that's like the best way to use your card slots up. 
That's correct. So it would take up two 524 slots if you're, you know, zero out of 24 and the city premier, let's say, for example, is, is at the all-time high bonus, 80,000. You could get potentially 80K times two, 160,000 city points. And city points are actually one of the hardest points to earn, you know, in the game out of the four major banks. So, you know, they're quite valuable as well. Yeah, for sure. You can use them with like Cathay Pacific. You can use it for Turkish Airlines miles and smiles, um, all sorts of fun things. The city points will transfer over to choice hotels at a one to two rate. So if you transfer over 1,000 city points, then they're going to turn into 2,000 choice hotel points. And choice hotels are fantastic, especially if you're like in Northern Europe. Hotels are really expensive in Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, all those areas. And they have a lot of choice hotels. And choice hotels in the U.S. kind of suck because it's, it's like your Clarion Inn kind of things. But in Northern Europe, they're very nice and they're still really cheap. And it's a really good use of city points if you wanted to use them on choice hotels there. Yeah, definitely. I'll touch a little bit on that as well. So some of the major city transfer partners that I would say are more exclusive, basically that aren't on any of the other platforms. Turkish, I believe, is only on city and capital one. So Turkish is definitely more of the harder to read you know, transfer to program. So Turkish is one choice, like you mentioned, the one to two point transfer and then EVA Airlines too. Actually, a lot of people don't know if you're going to Asia, a lot of people love to fly EVA business class, which I recently did a few months ago. I believe it's one of the top three in the world, but really you can only redeem EVA on city and capital one. And the city redemption rate is a lot better than the capital one redemption rate, which I believe is three to two, where city is one to one. So, and then speaking of choice that you mentioned, Scandinavia definitely is a great place. Some other parts of Europe. In the US, I would say they're not totally bad. You know, if you're going to state parks and national parks, going to these small towns where there really are no Hyatt hotels, maybe not even like Marriott chain hotels, then choice comes into play because they only have these small, more motel in style hotels and choice is everywhere. So, you know, I've used it, I believe, going to the Grand Canyon and, and some of these small towns in Arizona. So that's where choice comes in. I've also used choice hotels points in Tokyo, too. So if you just want like a normal, no frills kind of hotel and everyone knows, you know, when you go to Japan, you know, the hotels are still pretty nice. You know, they're in these high rises. Quality is good. You know, service is good. It's clean. Maybe the rooms are a little smaller, but still great use of it as well. For sure. Uh, with Turkish Airlines, Built is the only other one in addition to City and Capital One where it'll transfer over to Turkish. But speaking of Capital One, what are their sequencing rules? Like, are there limits like a 5 over 24 rule for Capital One? Or what are some reasons that somebody might get rejected if they apply for Capital One out of order? No, there's no 524. Capital One is, I would say, kind of like an enigma just because like I've seen various data points all over the place about applying for their credit card. Some people say, you know, I, I have too much credit and they rejected me just because I have like $200,000 in total credit lines and I haven't, you know, have like 0% utilization. But with my experience, I would say Capital One is also very recent account and inquiry sensitive. I wouldn't say to the point of Citibank, but they do look at, you know, what have you gotten recently, right? So if you've applied for several cards recently and, you know, they're showing on your credit report, then you probably won't get approved for Capital One. But let's say, you know, if you have like one year of no new cards, you know, no inquiries, then 
usually those are the situations where I see people getting usually instant approval for the venture, the venture X cards. Keep in mind, they do pull all three credit bureaus. So, you know, that's something that people don't like about Capital One. Even Capital One business cards, like the Spark card, they will show on your personal credit report. So that's why a lot of people don't like to get their business cards. But one advantage of the business cards is the charge card feature where, you know, it's kind of like the Amex charge card. You know, there's no set credit line. You can charge up depending on how much you usually spend on your spending behavior. It'll go up higher and higher. And for people that are in business, you know, that do buy a lot of inventory or e-commerce or things like that, it might be a good card with 2x back on everything unlimited, right? The other thing I would kind of add a little tidbit there is, you know, you can freeze, you know, one of the two, two bureaus like Equifax or Experian when you apply for Capital One. So in the end, it'll just be two credit pools. You know, we'll keep down the down low just for the GeoBreeze listeners. Just like thousands of people. I love how you're like, keep this on the down low. And I was like, Arthur, we have a lot of listeners to this podcast. Yeah, well... But it's still a small, you know, out of the whole U.S. population, it is a small, you know, just a small niche demographic, right? That's that's very true. I think a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to like ruin the hacks if like everybody hears about it. But you're totally right. Like in the grand scheme of like everybody who could know these things, anybody listening to this podcast is like in the deep, deep minority. If you're looking to earn more points and miles, there are usually two main ways to get there. The first one is with credit card signup bonuses, where you can easily earn tens of thousands of points by putting your expenses on a new credit card. If you're in the market for a new credit card, we offer free credit card consultations and provide you with personalized recommendations based on your particular travel goals, budget, and lifestyle at geobreezetravel.com consultations. And we have links to the free consultation form for you in the show notes. And now back to the show. For people who are like, why does it matter if they're pulling from all three bureaus versus just one, a hard pull is a hard pull. Why does it matter? Well, like I mentioned earlier, you know, hard pulls could matter because other banks that you're applying for in the future, they could look at it and take that into consideration for their underwriting, right? So, you know, we'll go back, talk a little bit about FICO. So, you know, the FICO algorithm basically is this score the FICO licenses out, this algorithm they license out to the three credit bureaus. And what makes your credit score different on all three bureaus is actually the data. They all use a similar FICO algorithm uh, that they license from FICO, but the data on, let's say, experienced customer base, right? And the data that applies with TransUnion database will be different in how the overall score is because sometimes they take these comparative models to this whole data, who would you call it, like the data segment, and they compare it to each other and that's kind of what causes the difference in the scoring uh, that you see amongst all three, because it'd be Equifax's a customer base versus TransUnion's customer base versus Experian. And you think like, hey, shouldn't they all be the same? But in reality, no, because, you know, sometimes a certain account only gets reported to one bureau. Sometimes it gets reported to two. Sometimes it gets reported to all three bureaus. So that will kind of change up how your own credit profile will look on each bureau. If you've ever pulled your credit report, if you haven't, I'd recommend go to annualcreditreport.com. You know, each bureau will give you now, I believe you can get like almost one every day or one every week free. But it's a government program where they're required to offer you a free credit report. And you can look across all three of your reports and you'll see, hey, how come this one says I have 25 accounts? This one says I have 26. This one says I have 24. And it's just because of the reporting of these accounts. Sometimes credit cards or different kinds of accounts, they could report on all three, which they should. Sometimes they only report on one or two of them. And, you know, when you talk about 
auto loans and mortgage and student loans, all these other different types of accounts, even like those, you know, layaway, you know, accounts you may get at like a retail store, you know, they may not all be reporting on all your reports. And that's, you know, what causes the differences in scoring as well. But they all license like the FICO algorithm, to put it simply. That makes sense. So you would recommend start with City, then Chase, then Capital One probably is the next one? Or is there something else that goes in between? So there's really no one size fits all, all right? As much as I love to give like general sweeping, oh, do this, then that, then that, really it's hard because, you know, everyone's applied for different stuff, you know, previously, and then they may have received this card and shut it down. But, you know, what I generally like to do is put City near the front, all right, if not the first one, you know, Capital One, it depends, you know, if you're going, if you want a city and a Capital One and you have to have them now, then you may need to make a decision if one is more important than the other. But city Capital One, I like to put near the front. Also Barclays, I like to put near the front just because, you know, Barclays does look at how many accounts you have and the recency of the accounts as well. And then Chase, I would put Maybe depending on your 524 status, like I said, you know, if you're almost over 524 and you have to have that chase card, then maybe, you know, maybe the chase card is more important than your city card. Hey, then apply for the chase card. So it really would depend on like your strategy, what you've had before, what you want to get and what you currently have as well. Which Barclays cards would you prioritize in front of most of the popular chase cards? I may be a little biased since I'm out of Dallas-Fort Worth, but I do like the American Airlines cards. And I do recommend usually, even if you're not an American Airlines hub, that you apply for all of the major ones with sign-up bonuses. So usually that means Citibank, the personal and the business card. Usually they have you know fifty to 70,000 sign-up bonus. And then also the Barclays Personal Red Aviator and the Barclays Biz Aviator. Those usually have around the same 50 to 70,000 sign up bonus as well. If you get all four, you're looking at maybe at least like 200 to, you know, 250,000 AA miles. And, you know, AA miles are a little harder to earn as well, just because you can only get them on these sign up bonuses with Cities and Barclays. So those are the only two banks they transfer from. Transfers from Built and Marriott, which is in a good redemption, but otherwise credit card spend would be City and Barclays, right? And their sign up bonuses. American Airlines has some really good stuff. Like if Japan's probably one of our most requested routes. So you could fly business class over to Japan on Japan Airlines for 60000 in business, 80000 on first. They just released some photos of their new first class cabin that's coming between that JFK to Haneda route. Everybody's going crazy over it because it's like, the entire room just turns into a giant, like full size bed. Q suites is a very popular thing. 70,000 points from the US into the Middle East through Doha. And it's really nice too, because with American Airlines, a lot of the smaller airports that do operate American Airlines flights like Louisville, Kentucky or Cincinnati, Ohio or something, those second tier cities, you can tack on a positioning flight for no extra points as long as there's availability. So, American Airlines is a really, really valuable program, probably one of at least two the most valuable programs, I think, for like U.S. domestic airlines. And yeah, those points are hard to get. We just keep transferring built points over to American Airlines. I have one of those four cards. So it is also nice, too, because you can kind of game theory it where if everybody's going for ultimate rewards and everybody's moving their points into Hyatt or Air Canada and not as many people are playing that game with American Airlines they have a lot more availability versus a lot of the major chase transfer partners. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
you basically hit all the big ones out Qatar, uh, Japan Airlines, uh, first class, which is a great redemption. I think it's 80,000 miles. And then the other one Eddie had is great too. You know, they just rolled out this summer the A380s again, so you can get the first class apartments. You know, I try to avoid, you know, I'm a little biased because I like to fly Asian, Middle Eastern, European airlines. So I try to stay away from like AA, uh, international business or first class, just because I feel like you know, the experience is okay. It's just not like on par with some of these other Asian or Middle Eastern airlines, which, you know, service is wild. And then the, the uh, food is just top notch as well. Yeah. With Europe, so many people are like, well, I'll just go through London. It makes the most sense. Like London's the furthest west out of all the European airports, but the taxes are crazy. And so American Airlines, when you look on their website, most of the stuff does go through British Airways, which can have crazy high fees going through London Heathrow. But if you instead route through Helsinki, Finland, then you'll be put on Finnair, which is another one world partner that you can often book through American Airlines points, and they have much lower fees. So if you're going into Eastern Europe or you're okay with like overshooting it, going to Finland and then back over to Germany or Switzerland or Italy or wherever you want to go, you can save a lot of tax money that way. Oh, yeah. And uh, one thing I will point out about the AA credit cards as well is they changed it before they used to be like, I believe once every 18 months or so or 24 months since I started in 2010. So I've gotten them like four or five times already, but now they're every 48 months, which makes it a little harder. But like I said, there are at least four of them that you could get. And then if you count like the city advantage or executive one, which has a higher annual fee, but it still gives a really nice big sign-up bonus. You know, that's that's still quite a lot that you can get, you know, once every four years, if you have player two, times that by two, you know, and then you'll rack up a lot of AA miles that way. Sometimes there's things, I'm not sure if you talked about this previously, but, you know, uh, with Simply Miles, I believe last year or a year and a half ago, they had that one donation where you donate a bunch of money to a charity. And some people racked up like one, two million miles just donating a few thousand dollars. So these things do come around, but, you know, earn them and burn them, right? Don't don't hoard your points. Yeah, that Simply Miles deal, people were earning 240 points per dollar. So, yeah, donate a thousand dollars, get a quarter million points. Those are rare. Once you hear about it, you got to definitely jump on those quickly because they don't last more than a day usually, even on good flight redemptions as well. So where would Amex go in the sequence, roughly? Out of the four major programs with transfer partners, I would say Amex would be near the end. And that's only because, not that Amex is the worst program or a bad program. No, it's only because they're more flexible and they're more lenient on their underwriting criteria. So even if you had, you know, 10 recently opened cards in the last year, even if you had, you know, multiple inquiries, then yes, uh, you will most likely get approved for American Express cards. American Express usually lets you get around 10 or 11 charge cards and around five or six credit cards. So charge cards are the ones with no limits. And then credit cards are just, you know, charge and then pay it off at the end of the month kind of credit cards. And then with American Express, you can apply for two credit cards within 90 days. So if you've applied for two and you tried to go for a third one within three months, then you're going to get denied automatically. They'll send you a letter and then you'd have to wait. So sometimes there are little tricks like this. Let's say, you know, in the most recent example, I believe it came out in May where the Hilton bonus, you know, they were giving 150,000 points or 130,000 points plus a free night certificate. And, you know, let's say 
you wanted to apply for two of those cards. I think there were like three or four variations you could apply for. But let's say you want to apply for two American Express cards. Then there was another Marriott bonus, I believe, and that ended in August with a very decent bonus. I b- believe it was the Amex Brilliant. It was 150K plus 50K points, but that ended in August. So what you could have done is, you know, let's say you applied June 1st for the two Hilton cards, all right? But you want to get the Amex Marriott Brilliant before it expired. I believe it was mid-August, but in August... That would have been only July, August. It would have only been less than three months. So a little over two months since you applied for those two Hilton cards, you wouldn't have gotten approved for the Marriott card. You would have had to wait over 90 days. But this is a little trick too. You know, keep it on the down low. You could have applied for the two Hilton cards, all right? Then maybe like August 10th, right before the Marriott bonus expired, apply for that one as well. You would have got automatic rejection. It's okay because you have 30 days to reconsider it. So we can talk about reconsideration. Wait until September 1st when you're over 90 days since you apply for those first two Hilton cards. And then maybe the 91st day, call Amex and get reconsidered. And you would have gotten approved for the Marriott Brilliant card with the bonus because it locked in the bonus for 30 days even though it expired the month prior. But because you're reconsidering that old application, you would have still got that bonus. Yeah, that's a really, really good trick where if you're like, oh, this offer is about to expire and I'm like over five, over 24, or I'm just like over the limit on any of these sequencing rules. If you do wanna go ahead and just apply, lock in whatever offer is there, they're gonna reject you. Wait close to 30 days because if, if you're just like on the brink of five over 24 or any of these other rules and it's going to drop off within the next month, you could just wait and then do the reconsideration process then. I know it's like very nerve wracking to a lot of people because they're like, oh, I'm rejected. Then I have to like remember to do this in like 29 days or something. If you are organized and it makes sense for your plan because you're like, I need to get this offer. It's like a best lifetime offer. I could really use the points. I know exactly how I'm going to use it. Let's let's go ahead and put in an application. Then yeah, that totally makes sense. If somebody's just like, let's just apparama all of it. Maybe there's other better moves than doing that. Speaking of which... What are your thoughts on people who just kind of do apparamas and get all the sign-up bonuses they can and then just like kind of figure it out from there? Is that the best strategy is like to grab as many points as possible with good sign-up bonuses or how do you kind of recommend people approach that? Definitely. No, I don't recommend people just randomly applying or just applying when they see a good bonus come up or someone promoting a good bonus. You have to be very strategic because if you're in it for the long term, how you apply for things, when you apply for things, it matters. And like I mentioned before, you know, it really depends on each person's personal application history and what they have now. So it's hard to give like a one size fits all thing. You know, I know you being, you know, point strategist and coach, you know, everyone always says, hey, you know, what is the next best card? Well, everyone travels differently too. You know, some people, they only want, you know, basic economy travel, you know, low cost travel. Some people, they want like the luxury business first class, five-star hotel travel. So you really have to be strategic. You touch on another good point. You have to be very organized. So, you know, early on in the game, you know, I got my spreadsheets all out, have a list and by date, of when you apply for things, you know, the resolved application, what the bonus was, you know, if you recon, when you got the bonus, all the pertinent details, like which credit bureau they pull, because all of that matters when you apply for something in the future. So I guess to answer your question, kind of like quite simply is prioritize number one, 
I like I like to prioritize the harder banks, the ones that are more restrictive on underwriting first. And like I said, you know, you can push the Amexes to the end. Look at the sign-up bonuses as well. You know, sometimes if there is a hard-to-miss sign-up bonus, let's say it only comes around once every two, three years, then yeah, that will play into the decision-making process as well. Just because, you know, you want to try to grab up, like for the Hilton bonus this past summer in July when it expired, you know, getting free nights for basically cards that usually don't offer free nights, that's a huge bonus, you know, because a free night could be worth $1,000, you know, if you use it as some of the nicer, more exclusive resorts. So that, that'd be an extra bonus on top. So it's something like that might be worth getting, you know, might be worth going over 524. All these decisions come into play when you're trying to maximize and optimize your, your points and miles gain. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't talk about a lot of these cards because we just don't have affiliate links for them. I've said before in the show, I think a lot of people talk about what they're paid to talk about. One other bank that we're not really ever paid to talk about, or a couple other ones, there's US Bank and Bank of America. What are your thoughts on those? Are there any cards that are worth getting from those banks and kind of saving a five over 24 spot or like once you're LOL over 24 anyway, are there any cards there that you should be prioritizing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Those are two banks that I do go after as well. So let's talk about Bank of America first. Bank of America has something called the 234. So you can apply for two cards in the last two months, three cards in the last 12 months, and then four cards in the last 24 months, which is the last two years. Now, these only apply for personal cards. So business cards, you can actually get more than these limits. But Usually when we talk about Bank of America, I think the major transfer partner we think of is Alaska Airlines. And, you know, that would probably be, if you're in the points and miles game, that would be the one I'd go after too. They have Alaska Personal and Alaska Business Credit Card. I believe one of those has like a higher sign-up bonus recently. But, you know, Alaska Miles, if you want to touch on, they're good for, uh, in my situation, since I fly to Taiwan a lot, they, they have uh, their partner with Starlux, and they had that huge Starlux sale, I believe it was one or two months ago, I want to say in August, there was a big Starlux just kind of award dump where they dumped one year's worth of business class, premium economy, and economy flights for a really good price. I believe it was 40, 60, 80,000 for those tiers. And, you know, yeah, that definitely Starlux is one. Japan Airlines was another one that's good with Alaska Airlines and some of these other One World partners that Alaska is affiliated with. Otherwise, credit card wise, a lot of times when some of my clients they want to get zero percent interest credit cards, Bank of America has a decent lineup of those too. So if you're, let's say, you're an entrepreneur, you want you know, 0% credit cards, they have a few that are good. And those, like I mentioned before, they're not part of the 234 rule. And you can get some of these business cards over and over and over again. And then sign up bonus is multiple times as well. Also with Alaska sign up bonuses, you can get those more than once. So that's one of the advantages of Bank of America. They don't have any, so to say, transfer partners, I believe their points are pegged to cash value, even if you have one of their travel cards. Yeah, one other good use with Alaska miles also for anybody who wants to go into South America, It's so expensive to get there with like Air Canada or something else. But if you wanted to go from like Los Angeles all the way down to Argentina, you could actually fly Los Angeles through like Lima, Peru, maybe Santiago, Chile, and take a free stop over there on the way to Buenos Aires. It's only 45,000 points in business class, like for all of that one way per person with Alaska points plus $44 in taxes and fees. 
And they partner with LATAM or LATAM, I don't actually know how it's pronounced, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Peru. So there's a lot of different ways to get to South America if you have Alaska points. And I actually booked that for myself and my husband recently, and we just ended up buying the Alaska miles because I'm like, well, I'm kind of low on credit card points, so I really want to allocate my spend to my Alaska card or open a new one. There were other cards that I had prioritized over that, but it was the best way to get to South America. So I just paid about $2,000 for points and saved about $8,000 for the flight. So if it's if it's 75% off looking at it that way, I'm totally good with just buying Alaska miles too. Oh, yes. You definitely mentioned something very underrated as well. You know, if you don't have the points, you know, you could buy the points. I mean, a lot of times, even with the hotel points as well and airline points, you could be able to book business first class flights for a fraction of the cost. But let me touch on U.S. Bank. I believe that was the last bank we were going to mention. U.S. Bank is a very interesting bank as well, just because they're not nationwide. You know, they're big on the West Coast. Like here in Texas, there are actually no U.S. Bank branches. So you really got to get creative with them. So with U.S. Bank, yes, there is a way to get in. Basically, you know, we'll keep this on the down low as well. But as long as you have a previous relationship with them, then yes, you can get their credit cards. Well, what is a previous relationship? Let's say a checking account. Let's say a brokerage account. All right. So you can actually do this online, even if you're out of state. So what I did was I applied for a brokerage account with U.S. Bank. Get in with them. Then you can apply for a checking account. Then you can apply for the credit cards and Voila, you're into their ecosystem. U.S. Bank doesn't have transferable partners. Usually it's pegged at a fixed value. They have a couple good cards that people in the points of miles community like, uh, like the Altitude Reserve, which is a premium card. It gets extra multiplier with like the tap to pay, Apple Pay or Mobile Pay, they call it. And they also have a lot of 0% cards as well. So, you know, if you're looking for 0% for your business, then, you know, they have like at least two or three of them, some are like 18 months up to 24 months, which is really good. It gives you a long time to defer paying off the whole balance. They are a little bit restrictive. The restriction is you have to have an existing relationship, like I mentioned. And then the business cards, you are able to churn multiple times. So they don't have like a definitive, hey, you have to have, you know, low inquiries or you have to have like, you know, no 524 rule. But you are able to get their credit cards multiple times and their sign-up bonuses as well. On the business side, I believe they do have one card at least that usually gives $500 to $750 sign-up bonus. So you can turn that one as well. What are some reasons that somebody would be rejected for a credit card outside of the sequencing rules, outside of like their credit score is just not good enough? If somebody is just like, I don't understand why I got rejected for this card, what are some other reasons that might be going on? Well, the most basic reasons I would say are, number one, your credit profile is probably not mature enough. So if you're trying to go for these high-end travel cards, then a lot of times they wouldn't want excellent or close to excellent credit. Otherwise, usually what I like to tell people is, hey, don't worry, you know, just go for the entry-level card first, get like the Freedom Flex, go for some of these basic entry-level cards, maybe like the Capital One Platinum, you know, a basic city card, maybe like the Double Cash, right? Just get in first, and then as your credit profile, as the age matures, and as your overall credit lines 
get higher and higher, then go apply for some of their higher tier cards. And most banks, they want to see at least one year of good history. Usually if you're at the two-year mark and you have a few cards under your belt, then you'll get approved for almost anything. Another thing I like to point out is you should definitely go in and try to request credit line increases every six months because that's only going to help your overall credit profile without getting too much into the details of like the the five major factors, but one of them is utilization. And if you can keep your utilization low, whether it be by keeping low balances or by keeping higher overall credit lines, then that's going to help your credit score overall. It's always better to you know, increase your total overall credit lines amongst all your cards as well. So regular credit line increases, you know, keeping your oldest cards open. If you don't want to keep it downgrade, you know, so you maybe you reduce your annual fee. That's also something I like to recommend. Those are the credit factor reasons why you might get rejected. Obviously, building bank relationships is super important. You know, if you've already had a Chase checking account since you're in, you know, a teenager, then opening up one of their basic, you know, low, you know, entry level credit cards first might be good for you because you know you're probably going to get automatic approval. Even ones that some people that they've never had a Chase credit card, but they had their checking account for a long time, they go straight to the Sapphire Preferred. They may get approved for the Sapphire Preferred just because Chase can see all your transaction history. They can see all the income coming in. They know exactly how much you have and you know what kind of client you are. Yeah, that's so important to keep good relationships with the banks too. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, we'll just like churn through as many cards as I can, like get sign-up bonuses, close down the cards, commit low-key financial crimes, get as many points as possible, and then like burn the bridge. But this is a marathon, you guys, not a sprint. Don't try to Ocean's Eleven your way through this. Like do something sustainable. And speaking of sustainability, what would you say is like a good ongoing strategy for somebody who's been in the game for a while and they're like, I've got all the good cards. Like, what do I do from here? Do they just churn everything, go at it again? What do you recommend for people who have been in the game for a while? Let me go back and add a little something too as well to that last point. What happens if you do get rejected? Well, a lot of times the rejection isn't as bad as it seems. I see a lot of times with some banks, especially if you're a new customer to them, it's just a matter of verifying your information. You know, Citibank does that. Barclays does that a lot. If this is your first card with them, they just want you to send in, hey, maybe send in your social security number, your driver's license, just to verify who you are because they don't know you yet. You know, sometimes the rejection is just comes down to ID verification. Sometimes it just comes down to, you know, verifying things on your application. You know, if you apply for a business credit card, they just really want to go over it with you and then verify some of the information and then they'll approve you. So that's where recon comes in, uh, reconsideration. You, you know, call the bank if you don't get approved. Sometimes just talking to the underwriter or talking to the one looking at your credit analyst, they'll be able to approve you later for it. So it's not a one and done thing. You know, it's not a lost cause. You can definitely still get in even if you receive that initial rejection. And going back to your question, what can you do if you've been in the game a long time? So I've been in the game a long time. You know, I've got some of these bonuses more than once, more than a few times. So churning is one, trying to get the bonuses every cycle, you know, maybe every two years, every four years, that'd be the you know, number one thing you can do. Go for some of these alternative bonuses. Let's say, you know, that maybe people aren't widely promoted, right? You have like these Wyndham bonuses, JetBlue, some of these other airline bonuses that 
hey, if you just want points and free travel, you know, those points will be valuable too. You know, in the whole scheme of things, if you have a lot of time to travel, those points will come in, you'll find a use for them. So don't neglect some of these other cards just because people don't talk about them. Using your player two as well, you know, that's basically multiplying everything you get times two or times three. Some people have multiple family members to get them lots of points. And then obviously, you, you know, this is the most basic one to maximize what you're currently spending as well. Get those two, three, four X, five X multipliers. That way you're not leaving anything on the table. But, you know, there's just so many cards out there. And, you know, being in this game, you know, the banks, they refresh their credit card lineup every couple of years. So a lot of times the same card, it may have changed the name like Freedom and then Freedom Flex or Freedom something. You know, you can get those bonuses, you know, multiple, you know, each of those cards just because it's technically a different product now. So that happens a lot. I know Amex is doing a, a kind of a refresh or, a, you know, changing off some of their products right now. But, you know, just keep your eye on that, you know, finding someone knowledgeable like Julia, you know, definitely helps as well because she keeps up with all these things, right? It, you know, most, you know, the thing I find that people have difficulty with most of the time is number one, it's hard to keep up with everything, right? The news, whether it be the credit cards, the banks and the bonuses, the airlines and all the changes they're making, the new products, the hotels, the new redemptions, the new partnerships. You know, it really is a lot to keep up with all this stuff. And the second thing I find, which is really common, I don't know if you find it as well, but really nowadays it's easy to earn a lot of points, but people just don't have that much vacation time <laughs> to use all these points they've accrued. Like I have people you know, I'm like, hey, you can go on two or three cruises. You still have these points. You can go on these trips. But it's like, Arthur, I just don't have that much time off. You know, I only have two weeks. Or, you know, I wish I could do all, travel to all these places, but I just don't have the time. So, you know, in that situation, it's just, it's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, that is definitely a first world problem to have. So with everything that you've kind of learned about credit and the sequencing of the game and what order to apply for different cards, if you had to sum up, everything you've learned into your best piece of advice that we can fit on an Instagram quote card. What would you say is your best piece of advice for somebody looking to get deeper into the game? Oh man. I, you know, somehow I knew I listened to your podcast and you're going to ask me that, but oh, let me think, you know, we mentioned so many things. One piece of advice would be definitely have a strategy. I think that's the overarching kind of big picture thing you have to have a strategy you really just can't just go at it apply for things that other people are applying for and apply randomly you know without considering like which banks and what order to apply for things for just because like yeah if you do it out of order it may not seem like much but it could lock you out and, uh, from other cards for a long time you know and you know in this game time is money right if we can get these sign-up bonuses this year and the other ones next year without waiting, that definitely help our cause, maximize our points and everything. So know your bank rules, know your underwriting rules, try to maximize the order and the sequence of how you apply for things. So do your research and then never stop learning. Never stop learning. I love it. Fantastic advice. And speaking of fantastic advice, can you give a shout out to somebody else who you would recommend listeners follow for even more points and miles tips? Yeah, of course. Thank you again, Julia, for having me on. You know, I love what you do and having um, all these, you know, different voices and diverse points of view uh, in our hobby. So having this podcast definitely is very valuable. You know, and th thanks for organizing events too. You know, I think back in end of July, you know, we had that event in Denver 
that you co-hosted. And you know, I'll kind of mention a couple of the people I met there as well, uh, some for the second or third time. But we have Marianne Points Lodi is also a Filipina. She has a good account. Uh, we have uh, Ade, a freemium traveler. And then we have Gary from Venture on Points, I believe. They were all at your event uh, in Denver. I got to meet and talk to them more there. So yeah, shout out to them friends. You can find me at Instagram. I'm at the.arthur.chow. Arthur is A-R-T-H-U-R. Chow is C-H-O-W. So the.arthur.chow on IG. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Arthur, again, for coming onto the show. You dropped so much deep information today about all of the different sequencing rules, because I think a lot of people are just like, yeah, there's five over 24, but like, do other banks have other five over 24-ish rules like Capital One or City or like, why did I get rejected for this? So I think that'll clear up a lot of the mysteries for people. And if anybody has any questions about these sequencing rules, even after this, always feel free to reach out to me or Arthur. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. If any of the cards mentioned in today's episode piqued your interest, please check out the links in the show notes for more information on any of the cards. Also, if you apply for a card using the links on that page, I may receive a commission too, so please and thank you. P.S. I hear the links work better in Internet Explorer or Safari, and sometimes the credit card applications tend to glitch out in Chrome. Additionally, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. And if you would like to make even more travel hacking friends, please sign up for the Patreon to access our monthly masterclass hangouts. We dive deep into a particular points program each month, and you'll get to ask all of your travel hacking questions and enjoy being around other people who enjoy points and miles just as much as you and I do. If you would like an invite to the next one, head over to geobreezetravel.com hangouts to sign up to be on the invite list. Take care and happy travels!